Let us pray. God, you are so good and gracious. Your love is everlasting. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you for uh, how you care for us. And that one of the ways that you've cared for us is that you've given us your word written uh, that we may study, that is timeless, that is um, carried forth and uh, is relevant uh, today to our lives. So we ask God that you would, uh, by your own spirit, be our teacher, that you would um, pour yourself out uh, and give us understanding and clarity about uh, this this um, your epistle James and uh, we, we that you've given to us uh, in the canon of your scripture and so we ask God that you would uh, make it plain to us and uh, teach us to be like Jesus and to glorify Jesus in our lives we ask this in Christ's name Amen, Amen. alright for those of us who uh, Stand, who are teachers and uh, preachers of the Bible who stand more in the Reformed tradition, uh, like I do, meaning, um, so really, uh, usually, these are, we're by grace, grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone kind of folks. Uh, our spiritual heritage is the, is the Reformation, um, whether it be in on the continent with Martin Luther or and John Calvin or with um, in on, in England with uh, Thomas Cranmer, um, we really stand in that Reformation tradition of, of uh, salvation by grace. And so, when we come to the Book of James, it, it strikes fear in our hearts sometimes. Um, not least of which is because um, uh, Martin Luther, the uh, you know the initial reformer, the great German theologian. Uh, in his preface to the German New Testament, first edition, called James a, an Epistle of Straw. Uh, the reason that he said that, uh, it, it sounds very pejorative. He actually, if you read the whole, uh, that whole that paragraph, he's actually quite complimentary of James. He said he doesn't deny his place in the canon of Scripture. He says it is very good to read. He just doesn't think it was written by an apostle because it doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. Now, many folks, as you can imagine, have come behind Martin Luther and said, wait, that's not true. And in fact, Luther removed that phrase uh, in, this, in the subsequent editions of his German New Testament. Um, but it stayed in memory. And it stayed in memory to the point that I'm, uh, you know, 502 years later, I am uh, uh, still talking about it uh, in another continent. That's a, that's a pretty... It's a pretty long legacy, uh, isn't it? So, um, he said, it, it, the book of James is a fine book. It praises God's law. He has no problem with people reading it, but it, does, um, but it is, has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it, is what Martin Luther said. Um, compared to Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, the gospel of John, 1 Peter, uh, and a few other books that he names, it is a, an epistle, a letter, an epistle of straw, or as one uh, translation of, out of the German that I like said, it is right strawny. So, um, and it's true, it's, it's a very imperative book. There are 108 verses in James and 52 commands. Uh, there, uh, so every other verse, uh, by average, has, a, um, has at least a command that is something that you are to do. And, um, and so for 
faith by uh, faith, uh, salvation by faith through grace uh, in Christ kind of folks, it is um, uh, makes us a little nervous. And um, and in fact, the word gospel is not found uh, within it. Most disturbing about the letter of James uh, is in chapter two, which we're going to cover uh, today. Uh, But to say, I'm going to read verse 24, and he says it pretty plain. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That seems pretty hard to get around, doesn't it? James says you you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. If that is, if you read that, if you read the letter of James, and that is the foundation from which everything else flows, then the imperative nature of the letter feels very Old Testament and Old Covenant, doesn't it? The Old Covenant, uh, the, the means by which we were to gain favor with God, uh, and particularly through our obedience, right? Uh, I am your God and you will be my people if you will turn to me and obey my commands. I will shine my face on you, God says. Uh, in not in so many words. So, uh, and lots of uh, several covenants throughout the Old Testament have that. We are new covenant people. Uh, we stand uh, under the shed blood of of Christ, under the um, the grace given to us in the cross, and in the hope of the resurrection. Uh, we are we believe that we have found favor with God not by our works, but by faith in His work. So, what is going on here in this? Uh, epistle. You can see why it has caused some controversy and some, uh, let's call it, discussion uh, among uh, church folks. So first, who is James? Who is James? There are three people named James in the New Testament. One is James, the son of uh, the son of Zebedee. You know, the brother of John, the one that um, Jesus called uh, by the the Sea of Galilee. James and John. And uh, James and that James and that John are um, uh, with Peter and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That James seems to be uh, one of the one of the main uh, inner circle of Jesus. Uh, very prominent. He's often called James the Greater or James the Great. Uh, there's another James uh, among the disciples named in all three Gospels. James, the son of Alphaeus. That's the only thing we know about that James. He's sometimes called Saint James the Less. And um, and, and so it is unlikely that St. James the Less wrote that because we just don't know anything about him, right? Then there is James, the son of Joseph and Mary. This would have been Jesus' brother or his half-brother uh, because Jesus, of course, was the son of God. But um, the son of Mary and the son of Joseph, James the Just, is what he's often called. He's a primary leader of the church in Jerusalem. We do not see him in the Gospels other than the fact that he is mentioned among the brothers of Jesus, but um, but he is uh, he came became a prominent leader of the church in Jerusalem, and um, we know from from the book of Acts that James the Greater was killed by Herod in um, in AD about AD forty one, so that would have been too early for this letter to have been written. James the Less is unlikely that he that he uh, made it. And so James the Just, that's James the son of Joseph and Mary, is almost sure that he is the one who wrote this letter. Uh, it is it's certainly in accord with what we see of James, uh, the brother of Jesus, in 
the book of Acts and what we hear of in particularly in Paul's uh, writings. So, then what is going on with this this uh, disparity, this seeming disparity? Well, again, you can imagine. There's been a lot of PhDs, one or uh, on speculating about this, but here's what I think is going on. This is written after this is written in the mid 40s, maybe 46, 47 A.D. Very soon, we're still like 13 years or so after Jesus died. Early, early on, in the, in the development of Christian theology, the Jews. Uh, the Jewish Christians, the Christians, were very much still identified as Jews. And they, so therefore they were, they understood part of how they lived their faith is to be obedient. That would not have been controversial to them. And they hear rumors of this former Pharisee, now a zealot for Jesus, off in the hinterlands uh, of, um, of Asia, Telling people, according to the rumors, that um, that this person Paul or Saul or whatever his name is is telling people that we no longer have to follow Moses; that we only have to believe, and we, it doesn't matter what we do. We're just uh, we're just ushered into the kingdom. And so you can imagine uh, James saying, "Well, hold on. Let, let's address this." And so, what we, what we, what I think James is attacking, is um, early rumors of what Paul was saying. We see then in Acts chapter 15, Paul returns from his first missionary uh, journey. He comes to Jerusalem. He meets with James, and James hears him out and welcomes him in and calls him brother. And they work on a letter to be sent out. It turns out they're actually saying the same thing. What James is concerned about is uh, that that Christians are still to shine the light of Christ by the fruit of their lives. If you have, that's the whole faith without works is dead. He doesn't mean that we're not saved by grace or the finished work of Jesus. He means that that will naturally uh, and categorically mean transformation in our life. And so, he is instructing them on how to live out their life. Doesn't mean since it's early on, it doesn't mean that James didn't even himself develop a little bit later in how he articulated that. But you think too, James is writing to Christians in the midst of persecution. They have been spread throughout the Mediterranean region, fleeing because of their faith. But they were Jews. So who did they interact with? Jews. If you go off the handle and start saying, it doesn't matter what I do, how are you going to be received by the very ones you're trying to bear witness to? You're going to be shunned. And so obedience was not just a, uh, an important means of glorifying God, but it was also an important strategic means of advancing the gospel among their audience. And so James is really concerned to uh, show those Christians how to live their life in such a way to shine the light of the gospel. I do think 
And we're going to look at it in just a minute, um, particularly in uh, verse 18 of chapter 1. But uh, you can also imagine that he's got to write in code a little bit. Um, And so um, this letter probably wouldn't have gotten him in trouble, but the Christians would have known what he was talking about. So we're going to see that he actually uses some of the same phraseology that Paul uses. Um, even though that, that verse 24 seems problematic. If we put it in, if it becomes the context, it's problematic. But if we put that verse in the context of what's going on, then I think it becomes easier to, to swallow. Does that make sense? Are you following what I'm saying? Clear as mud? Doing okay? Clear. Okay. We want to be a little compassionate toward, towards James. We don't want to just read Paul plainly in his context and read James and then put them both in our context and say, well, I don't like James, I like Paul. Or I don't like Paul, I like James. Uh, I've had people say to me, I love the book of James because I, now I finally know what I'm supposed to do. Like it just is, is um, it feels so concrete to them because we're looking for it to be told what to do. The problem with that is what? We'll get self-righteous, right? Look, I'm doing, I'm doing it and you're not. So, uh, good on me. So, um, so James is writing uh, to these Jewish Christians. These, they're Christians, but they would have been uh, almost certainly all from Jewish backgrounds. And he starts this. This is the context. Right out of the gate. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James's context is that he's writing to people who have suffered. They've suffered for their faith. And you can imagine, and I don't know if you were like this. I mean, I was sort of like this in, in some ways. And you say, well, I'm gonna, if, when I accept Christ, uh, and that when I become a Christian, when I become serious about my faith, that's going to take care of all my problems. And I'm not going to have any problems anymore because God's going to protect me. And then all of a sudden, you get T-boned at an intersection. Or you get T-boned at work. Or uh, you get T-boned by your ex-spouse's lawyer. Or whatever it is, life is going to T-bone you. right? And you think, wait a second, what happened? Where's God? Maybe there is no God. I thought He was going to protect me. Anybody ever dealt with something like that? Been through that... Valley of the shadow? Yes. God does not promise. I wish He did. I wish the psalm said, Yea, though He protects me from keeping, uh, keeps me out of the valley of the shadow of death. But He does not. He walks with us through it. He, is, uh, he, is, he takes us through it. He is not a bridge over it or a, um, you know, what a beam me up around it or whatever. Or something like that. Fast forward this idea to begin with. I mean, it's prevalent. It's prevalent. I, th- I think because it's, we imagine that you know, God is good and He is sovereign. I mean, the question is, how did we get this idea in the first place? I mean, God is good. God is sovereign. If He's sovereign and good, then why did this happen? Then why, then how did, how, either He's not sovereign and, and you know, I, He could have prevented, made this, uh, prevented this from happening to me. Um... But but he uh, so either he's he's not good but he is sovereign, or he's not sovereign but he is good. It's very hard for us to reconcile 
uh, and it's sort of a pipe dream, I think. But it's uh, and there are preachers who will tell you. I mean, you know, they're you know, pros- we call them the prosperity gospel. If you just give your life to Christ, and, and if you have enough faith, you'll get rich. And oh, by the way, it will really help if you send me, you know, a yeah, few thousand dollars. But um, it is stewardship season after all. So uh, the um, um, the uh, so I, th- I mean, I think there is this sense that we're we're making God in our own image, and if we were like, if we were God, that's how we would do it. So, uh, so I think that's that's the idea. But actually, God, he, God didn't protect His own Son from suffering. In fact, the salvation of the world came through His own suffering. Therefore, it is unlikely that you will avoid suffering. But actually, through your suffering, not uh, that you will actually find God in a much closer relationship with God. Now, I don't want you to suffer. I see your hand. I'm coming. I, I, I am. Um, I don't want you to suffer, and I certainly don't want to suffer. I'd rather you suffer than me. But I don't. I don't. I don't want any of us to suffer. But I. Um, but I, I think we want to treasure those times. I mean, it's only. I think maybe only Christians can say that. I don't. Well, know. When you're going through it, you're not treasuring. Oh no, you're going through it. Yeah, you don't want. You don't want that. You don't want that. On the other side, you realize that you made it through it, and you're like. You know, I've I've actually known people who who actually had the ability, maybe not right off the bat, but had the ability in the midst of it to say, at the very least, in all things, give thanks. So, I, I and I think that's I mean, Paul, I mean, uh, James is is encouraging obedience in the midst because you know you think we well, I'm gonna throw my hands up, forget this, I'm mad at the people, I'm gonna fly off the handle that are causing the suffering, whatever it is. James said, no, remain steadfast in your faith. Okay, yeah, well, who's my hand back here? Richard? I was going to steal a little bit from your sermon where... Uh, it's always a good idea. Yeah. Salvation and sanctification, you pointed out, are separate. Yes. Good and sovereign are separate. Yes. Yes. They work together. Good and sovereign are different. They're separate, but they work together. All things work to the good of those who love the Lord, right? And, and let me tell you, I mean, listen, I, maybe you're going through a period like that now, and, it, and it's, yeah, I don't take any joy in saying, hey, it's, you know, God is with you. And I mean, I, what I want is God for, to alleviate your suffering. I mean, that's what we, we talk about. Like, I've got a friend who has a brain tumor, and he's got people praying for him, and that brain tumor is evaporating. It's amazing. We thank God, praise God. Of course we do. It's very hard to then say to the next person who also has a brain tumor, "We're praying for you," and it doesn't evaporate. In fact, it accelerates. It's very hard to say, "Oh, God is with." You. I mean, it's just it's tough. I mean, let me tell you, it's tough as a pastor, and um, you know. But we just have, we stay with it. We trust God through the midst of it. And so that's the context. James is encouraging people who are suffering to stay with their faith, to not let those things get in between them and obedience. Okay? Particularly, it seems, some of those who were poor were, be, were suffering at the hands of those who were rich. It, it doesn't go into the controversy, um, but he, he really encourages those who are poor. Um, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, he says in verse 9. And let the rich boast in his humiliation. Isn't that interesting? 
I mean, that's what, you remember Isaiah said that the, um, um, the, the valleys will be lifted up and the mountains will be made low? It doesn't mean that the valleys will be turned into mountains and the mountains will be turned into valleys. It all, I mean, the gospel is a, it levels the playing field. We're all put on that level plane. So, sometimes those who are brought low are brought to Christ by being lifted up. Sometimes those who are high by the world standards are brought to Christ by being brought low. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. He says, I love what he says too, and I've, I've clinged to this a lot. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Uh, that happens a couple of times a day. I don't know about you. Um, if any of you lacks wisdom, I pray for wisdom a lot. Um, you, you have to be the judge. Elaine will tell you whether or not that, that those prayers are answered. <laughs> I do pray for wisdom a lot though. So, let me, well, hey, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's I did hire Elaine, so yeah, there, there we go. Um, all right, verse sixteen. There's so much to cover here. I can't cover it all in this time. Uh, and in fact, I have to leave at um, a little early today because we were, have the baptisms. Uh, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift. This is verse sixteen. Um, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, here's the Gospel, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Of His own will, not your, own, not your will, not your acts, of his own will, he brought us forth. That's, a, that's birth language or rebirth language. We're born again by the word of truth. If you look in the bulletin today, in the passage of Ephesians, Paul calls the gospel, the gospel of salvation, the word of truth. It seems that this was probably a, a common phrase then that they used to refer to the gospel message, the word of truth, the logos, the, um, uh, the gospel message. And Jesus we are born again. We are brought forth. It's His act by His will that we are brought forth by that gospel message. And that's, that's what James is saying. It all, it's, everything we do is a fruit, is a response. Paul says the same thing. Now we still have to take care of chapter 2, but that's what, um, that is, seems to be James's theological foundation. Right there. Okay. And then he says... Know this, my beloved brothers. And of course, when he means brothers, he means people. Um, if you studied languages, sometimes the masculine is used for everybody. Anyway, that's just the way it is. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, uh, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and, dece- and receive with meekness the implanted word, that is, this, what God has put within you, the message, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We live in a consumeristic culture. We, uh, we take and take and take. And I think that's what he's talking about. Don't just, don't just be hearers of 
of the Word. Um, I like this theology. I like this the- what, or I like this teacher or whatever. But be doers of the Word. Let the Word, the implanted Word, the Word, the Holy Spirit in you, create obedience, putting away anger. Uh, filthiness, rampant wickedness. I mean, there is a there is an act of your will that comes after the word has been planted in your hearts, and that's what James uh, is encouraging: be doers of the word. What is it? What would it look like? What does it mean in your, in our lives? Do you think? What did, what does James mean, and then what does it look like in our lives? I mean, to serve others. To serve others. Okay. What else? What would it mean to be a doer of the word in your life? We think. Maybe be a reflection of, of what is good. To be a reflection of what is good, sure. The word has to be engrafted into you by your will to study and open your heart to it. Yeah, you're studying the word. When it says put away anger and filthiness and rampant wickedness, to be self aware, to see where have I done that today? What is it looking like? In my life, how might I? Who do I need to apologize to? And the Holy Spirit works with us. In the Holy Spirit working with us. Yes, ML. I think also it's referring to hypocrisy because that's such a strong theme in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. The hypocrisy of people that are trying to make others. You must do this, but by the way, admire me for what I'm not doing. Yeah, so ML said he's, uh, she thinks he's talking about hypocrisy, which I, um, I think is certainly in there. All of this, be, being doers of the Word, uh, is to say we're, gonna, we're going to we're gonna do our very best uh, not to gain favor, but from the favor of God that we have received by grace to obey the law. Not to check off the box, but to give God glory. Okay. Let's go forward. We, I really would love to talk, uh, chapter 2, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, this is really similar to a parable that Jesus talks about, um, about uh, not showing partiality. Uh, how often do we, when someone, if two people walk in, one in fine clothes and one in, in, uh, in you know, dirty rags, are we going to say, oh, hey, you know, you know, you in fine clothes come sit here. I hope we're aware enough to, to treat each person. I mean, that's one of the baptismal um, covenant that we treat everyone uh, with dignity. And so um, that's something to really meditate on. But I, wanna, I do want to focus on uh, this at, towards the end of chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Here again, he's probably, like I said, probably uh, attacking uh, what he, rumors he's heard that have gotten made its way back to Jerusalem that this um, Pharisee, Paul, former Pharisee, is talking about you don't have to do the word of Moses anymore before he gets to meet Paul and understands. What if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, does not, uh, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. 
In other words, James is not saying I don't have faith in Christ. I'm just saying that faith in Christ has, has uh, manifested itself in my behavior. And I am uh, serving Him because of my faith. Uh, he said, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active. There it is. It's active faith. Faith with legs. Faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So I think what, what, I think what James is doing is he's saying that faith, I mean, works are the evidence of our saving faith. The word justifying is not talking about our salvation, but he's talking about uh, um, sort of a, uh, a uh, it, it proves our faith. Um, the fact that we say that God has done it is sort of, is, that itself is justified by the fact that we, our lives are different because of it. Yes, Richard? Didn't Paul, in a different way, express the exact same thing in Galatians chapter 5 with the fruits of the Spirit? Absolutely. Yes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. We are not, um, uh, he is saying that it is, we should be all of those things, but it is God working in us. Paul talks about this in the second half of, his, of, of all his letters. Starts with the gospel, then he talks about how we live that out. So Paul wants obedience too. Paul just takes a little more pains, and James may have late if he'd written a letter later, but he t- Paul takes more pains to explain uh, the justification we receive through Christ and His finished work. But I don't think James. I don't think we need to read James as um, repugnant to Paul. In fact, the articles of our um, the thirty nine articles, uh, which are the doctrinal statement that form the Church of England, <coughs> say that we don't read two passages of Scripture as repugnant to one another. If there is a seeming contradiction, we're going to do our best to find out what, why, and how, how to explain it. Yes, this is my father-in-law, Richard Poindexter. Yeah, I'm doing good. Yes. Doing good. Well, I do something good this week, as well as in the future. Do something good this week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm not just, just not just waiting for, uh, for kingdom come. That's right. I'm... Can you really have faith without? It just seems like it'd be a natural occurrence. With this, you have this. It's I don't I don't see how it's an effort to have to do that because it's part of the lesson. Yeah. So Susie says, and this got to be where I wrap up. But Susie says, uh, can we? Could we even have faith without works? Let me tell you that I have had people try. They were so overcome with the gospel. You mean I don't have to, you know, rigidly have a quiet time every time? I don't. Have, I mean, I can. Uh, you know, the God's going to love me if I get drunk and. And they, they go out and they try all these things again, like they did, like they were in college. I'm going to you know test my freedom in Christ. I mean, Paul says, don't use your freedom as, as an opportunity for the flesh. And it just it just kind of it just it just doesn't mean anything. I mean, it just it is it is um, it's boring. You feel foolish. 
you just want to, you just the, the people that I've seen have kind of tested the things. They just found that it just kind of feels silly, and they put those things away, and they would much rather serve Jesus. So, um, I mean, they've tried. They've kind of tried to have faith without works. If they really have faith, then I think it's going to manifest itself in works. It doesn't mean again we're not saved by our works. By doing, but we do because we have been saved. That's the whole thing. Religion says, religion says, I have been, I've done good work, therefore I have God's favor. Christianity says, I have been given God's favor, therefore I will do good works. So, in fact, Paul says in the letter to Titus, we are saved. He saved for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Right? So it's our salvation that creates that. Yes? Like anything, it's a matter of your motivations. Like this the same action can be done, but if it's in order to pat yourself on the back, then, then that's not what God wants. But if it's out of an attitude of, I'm so thankful for what God has done, I want to do that, it's the, it's the motivation of your heart that makes the... Yep, absolutely. It's the motivation of your heart. i got to go baptize some folks. I hope you'll come to church. Uh, if not, uh, uh, you know, thank, go watch your DVR and see if the Jags are beating the Texans. I sure hope so. God bless. Oh.